before I can say one more word to anyone about anything, I have to, have to, have to talk about this documentary that I just saw on Vimeo. It's called Loved, like spelled L-O-V-E, and then the D in loved is in parentheses. I will link to it in the show notes for this episode. Prepare yourself. Make sure you have something comfy to wear, a box of Kleenex. I recommend wearing headphones and staring deep into your computer screen so that you can receive the full healing of this documentary. It's a whole experience, friends, a whole experience. I feel so privileged to have watched it because it is about these people who go to a place, I think it's called The Bridge, And just a group of strangers who make themselves very vulnerable to a couple of facilitators who walk them through this healing journey where they have to share this deep personal stuff with the group and really with themselves for the first time. They are unearthing these deep things that are hidden in the shadows and hidden in the secret chambers of their bodies. And these things are released And I can't even tell you all the emotions I went through watching this. I just wanted to be so present for it and to really witness what these people were sharing because that is so brave to do that in front of cameras. And it reminds me so much of the time that I spent studying method acting. It was actually just a lot like that. And I recently heard an interview with Athena Calderon. If you don't know who she is, she's she's like a lifestyle guru. She does the food. She does the beautiful interiors. I did not know that she studied method acting back in the day, and she was in an episode of Sex in the City. But I learned this listening to this interview, and she was talking about how when she was studying method acting, it ripped her up. It brought up too many deep things, brought them to the surface, and it was just too disturbing, and that was not what she wanted to do with her life. And so she made a career change. But I was like, yes, that's exactly why I was drawn to it in the first place. (laughs) Drag it all up from the bottom. I didn't know that that was what appealed to me. I just wanted to be an amazing actor. But It's such a vulnerable thing to do for actors who really go there. And it's something that I see people doing in the witchy community, doing on Zoom meetups or doing in person in circles with their covens or their support groups. It's something that I see a lot of people in the personal development community exploring alone and together. And it's just so brave and inspiring and weird. I think we are so weird humans. We are fascinating creatures. Like, why can't we just be on this planet and love it up and live and play? Like, this is a paradise that we have found ourselves on, but we can't see what's all around us because we are caught up in these complex webs of Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So many layers. It must be the point. It must be the point. It must be the point to plop us down in the middle of paradise 
and then leave us to figure it out for ourselves how to escape these mind prisons that we have been conditioned into. It it has to be. There must be a point. But I know that you can I know that you can slowly but surely dig in there and that you have to feel it to heal it and that there is a point to digging in there and feeling your pain and sobbing and shaking and releasing because there's joy, there's playfulness, there's goodness on the other side of it that you're not able to have because those repressed, pent up, pushed down emotions won't let you fully experience who you are and won't let you fully experience other people and won't let you fully experience all this life has to offer. So all the cliches are true. The only way out is through and I'm recommending this documentary, Loved. Again, I will link to it because these people will show you how it's done, but also I believe that we get a kind of peripheral healing when we allow ourselves to really engage with a piece of content like this in a fully present way. That's why I was like, put some headphones on and stare deeply into your computer screen because they'll take you on a journey if you're willing to let them touch your heart. It's, I think it's remarkable at any rate. Every life has its seasons with some magic we'll get through. Hippie witch has her reasons and she's sharing them with you. Hippie witch season five. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 513 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a big copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode, which will include links to how many people here? One, two, three, four, five, six people and the documentary that I just meant. What? Do you hear that? (laughs) Oh, Lordy. Ever since life has gone back to normal in terms of people being able to go to their jobs and school and businesses are open and running again. My neighborhood has exploded with noise. I knew I would experience it this way because one of the first things I noticed when everyone and everything went on lockdown was how quiet it was and how I needed that in my soul. It was actually like a human need that I had denied myself by living in Los Angeles and particularly the neighborhood I am in because we are right next to what I refer to as Carlot Row. So you have car alarms going off randomly throughout each day, sometimes late at night, And that lovely beeping noise that tow trucks make when they're backing up. And we're across the street from a school 
that really utilizes their loudspeaker excessively. And then I feel like I'm surrounded by neighbors who are obsessed with power tools, particularly gardening (laughs) power tools. And it's just so noisy. And when that was gone, a part of me, a deep, deep, deep part of me relaxed. And I was like, oh my gosh. I need this. And then my immediate next thought was, I can't let this go. It cannot go back to how it was before. And here we are. It seems like it's worse than ever. It's probably what it was like before 2020. But I had a good year of it being quiet. It incrementally started getting louder and louder. But it was spring and now summer. It's just so noisy. I recorded... One full-length podcast for you that will never see the light of day. It was supposed to be a special solstice episode. I want to announce that I'm going to be doing Shadow Love Summer Camp. I thought that would be great to announce right before the solstice. And that episode was so noisy and patched together. It just, it was too chaotic. I did not think it was a good thing to put out for you all. And so I tried again. I wanted to do it again and try for the full moon. And I got halfway through that and I was like, forget it. No, I can't do it. (laughs) Somehow, here we are and I have a podcast for you. I will tell you about Shadow Love Summer Camp another time because we have a really special episode here today. It's going to be a long one. And... That little documentary review at the beginning of this episode, I actually recorded back for that solstice episode. One thing remained for my efforts, (laughs) but I recorded that right after watching Loved, that documentary, and I was so on fire about it. I was like, I'm just going to capture this. I don't care how I sound. I don't care if I'm embarrassed later. I just want to capture the magic of the moment because I was sobbing with the people watching along with the documentary and I was having all these cool insights and moments of recognition. It was just a cool experience and I was so fired up. I was hoping to be able to convey that somehow on the podcast because when I think something is awesome, I turn into a complete evangelist. (laughs) Like, everybody has to read this book. Everybody has to see this movie. Have you heard this album? Because if you haven't, you need to right now. I get like that. And so that's what that was all about. And what I said about method acting, about how what's being explored in that documentary, them actually journeying back to their childhoods and bringing up this old trauma to be healed and sharing that experience with each other, that is what a method acting class is like. And I loved that. I could not have articulated that's why I loved it when I was studying that however long ago, 20, 21 years old, probably up until about 24. But that is, looking back, I can see like that was one of the coolest things about it. It was like this deep, truth telling that would shake you to the core so you would actually have a physiological reaction. You would blush, you would laugh, you would cry, and it was just all authentic. And it was just so magical because you have to have a safe space to make that happen. 
But I just want to say, so many witchy people, we're just like that anyway. And so many artists are like that, regardless of their medium, creatives, creative people. Many of us who identify that way, we love to dig down into the snot and tears and pain to get to the good stuff and the joy and the healing and that beautiful insight that's so fun when you get to a great aha moment like that. And it's funny because my family growing up was very sporty and straight-laced and they did not appreciate this part of my personality. It was like, why does everything have to be so heavy? Not everything is that deep, Joanna. (laughs) And I'm like, but it is. It is. For me, it is. And I actually enjoy talking about this stuff, the deep life stuff. It's interesting to me. And what podcasting has allowed me to do is connect with people, many other people who feel the same way, which has been a huge blessing. So Allie, Mariella, Miranda, Daniel, Rachel, and Rachel are people like that. (laughs) They're all on the show today. They are each one in their own unique way, inquisitive, reflective, curious, creative, and just so cool. I really appreciate that they agreed to have this roundtable chat with me to talk about the lessons that we learned during the pandemic. I still am uncomfortable saying the pandemic. There's a moment in in this kind of roundtable chat that we had that I'm playing a condensed version of here for you. Two hours of footage boiled down to podcast size, video footage, all those different voices coming in at different audio levels, but all on the same track. It was quite, it was quite the adventure editing this thing, but so worth it. I wanted to make it. I invited them to do it with me. They agreed to do it with me. And in editing it, I noticed myself talking about how I still feel uncomfortable saying pandemic because it sounds fake. It sounds so science fiction. It sounds like something that happens in the movies. It was never something I thought could actually happen in my reality. Or it seems like something that happens on the other side of the world. And I do think there's this little part of my brain that still thinks this is all so surreal. In addition to that... The kid and I are definitely not post-pandemic. My schedule is very much the same as it has been this entire like quarantine lockdown experience because he has none of his programs and he's here 24-7 and I just decided to be extremely present for that. I did not want to miss that experience. I did not want him to feel lonely I wanted to use the experience to understand him better, to create a lot of amazing memories, and all of that happened. I think, you know, my business kind of plateaued off because I didn't have as much time to invest in it. I chose to not invest time in it, yet it kept on ticking. There was no backsliding. There was just no growth. It just sort of like hung out where it has been now for a couple of years, and I'm so okay with that. I definitely spent this pandemic 
Well, I was afraid. We were pretty cautious, I have to say, about going out. So most of it was spent out in nature or just the two of us doing puzzles and hanging out and watching TV and dancing. And we went on a walk every single day. I guess not every single day. If it was raining, we did not go on a walk. If it was raining a lot, but it didn't rain much because hello, Los Angeles and California is in a drought. I wish it had. I wish it had because I think we're in for a doozy of a summer, which is why I think this is the perfect summer for Shadow Love Summer Camp. I just have so much to say about the shadow. It came up a touch here during this conversation because I wanted each person to go around and just share what insight they gained, what lessons did they learn during this experience. I don't think any of us lost loved ones to COVID-19 or people that we were very close to. So our experience was one of just coping with a big life change and whatever fear there was and uncertainty, you know, all, all that. In addition to all the interesting political things and social justice movement, it was such a layered, intense experience that we all went through together. I wanted each person to just have a moment of getting to process that out loud and share what they learned for me Part of that was shadow work because I had this moment of letting go in the fall. I let go of everything and I slipped into this very groovy, peaceful state that I have been able to maintain now into July. Whoop, whoop. I'm starting to think I might be able to live in this space. And when that happened, it was really interesting. It was a different shadow experience. All of this stuff from my shadow just kept coming up and being like, hey, yo, I'm here. Also, me too. And some of it was disturbing and I would have a moment with it. One of those kind of you got to feel it to heal it moments. There could be sobbing or shaking just in the moment as it's like rising up to be seen and integrated and then it was like very peaceful again, very groovy. And I just felt like, whew, something happened. The way I described it in this talk, it was like lifting the lid on the Pandora's box of not just my shadow, but all kinds of interesting things, I think, that were being compressed and held down by my very controlling nature, some workaholic tendencies and overextending myself and go, go, going. When I stopped all of that, it released. Something relaxed, and so it allowed everything to come up. That's actually not what this conversation turned out to be. Someone mentioned spirit of place a couple of times. Rachel was like, oh, you know your spirit of place theme, but I know you all listening to the podcast don't know what that is. That was a thing we did on Patreon. Every month on Patreon, I do a new theme. This month, we're doing Embodied. Last month, we did Spirit of Place. The month before that, we did Home Care, Self Care. So there's always a theme. So that's what she's referring to when she says Spirit of Place. But then the other themes that came up were, of course, the importance of nature, our connection to nature. I feel like most people had an experience with that during the pandemic, but we talked about also 
the need for rest and a renewed commitment to practicing and further developing our spiritual tools and systems of support. It it was really brought to light how important those things are. We talked about the gifts and burdens of the internet, the need for community and connectivity, but also autonomy and self-care. It's just a really interesting conversation. One other thing I wanted to say before we get rolling is that I strongly encouraged everyone who participated to share their URL and their socials or to plug whatever they're up to online creatively because I love to do that. I love the cross-pollination that happens when maybe you click on one certain someone on this post because they're speaking to you for whatever reason. And so then you go follow them on Instagram or sign up for their newsletter. And I've been a part of the witchy community for a long time, for over a decade now online through YouTube and podcasting. And that's one of my favorite things about it is that cross-pollination that happens. So many smart people in this community. I wanted them to shout themselves out that way. So you're like, oh, yes, that was Mariella. She is the care neighborhood lady, and you can go look her up. If you miss anyone, there will be links in the show notes to each of these people. And all of these people I have masterminded with in the past, some many, many multiple times, and I've had conversations with them all, I think. Yeah, I think all of these people I've had conversations with on the phone. I've gotten to know them and appreciate them. I know they all have wisdom to share. And so this is just an experiment that I did for a tier I have on Patreon called The Creatives. I thought, oh, well, this is a creative project we can do together. So they knew that I was planning on sharing this with you. We made a video of it and just posted that raw footage on Patreon. But then this has been edited for your entertainment. I tried to keep it real and make sure that I didn't cut anything that was important. Obviously, the audio is going to vary a lot because this was a Zoom meetup. But also, I did my best to smooth that out. So without any further ado, here are my friends, Ali, Mariella, Miranda, Daniel, Rachel, and Rachel. I see Miranda. Yay. <gasps> Ali is here. Cool. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi. Let me just, I'm just going to start for people who are here. I'm just going to say, I am not going to talk very much about my big aha moment because it really led into a whole bunch. It was like something opened up in me and it's still revealing itself. Something happened last fall, some kind of letting go, and it kind of lifted the lid on my shadow. It's exposed things that I was just ready to let go of. And I got to this very strange, groovy place of peace. I'm more just interested in what your experience was coming, not coming off the pandemic, but at some point during it, did you have like a big aha moment or make a big decision? What insight did it bring up for you? Something awakening, enlightening, some big shadow thing that finally came up to be healed. It could be anything. I'm more just interested in how 
this experience changed us each individually and maybe create space to talk about it and encourage other people to do that in their own lives. Because I feel like we need some sort of integration process before we go on to start rebuilding, you know, like what is post pandemic? When does this start? Are we in it already? And if somebody actually wants to lead because you have some big thing you want to say, or you're worried that your internet connection isn't going to hang in there, go for it. Sure, I can try to start. My name is Miranda Reeves, and I write microfiction about disabled and chronically ill people under the name ML Reeves on twitter.com. That's where you can find me. So the big moment that I had during the pandemic is I realized anything can happen. Uh, first of all, in a memento mori way, which I'm sure everybody had that moment. But also, you know, as time went on and I was watching the other people in my community, which is people who are disabled, especially with chronic illness. I have myalgic encephalomyelitis, among other things. And watching them go through this experience of realizing that everything we thought was true was true. And everybody who, you know, as, as a culture and especially institutions have been telling us that these weren't truths, they were just crazy. You know, I started to think, how can I serve my community? Because that's where I want my energy to go. Can you tell us what that truth is for people who are like, I don't know what you're talking about because they're not a part of that community? So navigating the world as a disabled person, as someone who's immunocompromised, you realize that institutions like modern medicine aren't really there to serve us because our problems can't be easily remedied. They don't go away. And, you know, those institutions are really there to serve emergency problems, things that will be resolved. And when your problems can't be resolved, they tell you that it's your fault, that it's in your head, and they kind of leave us to deal with it ourselves. And really the culture is the same way. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people noticed people who didn't want to follow protocols and people who wanted everyone who was at risk to just stay home and with no consideration about how we would survive staying in our homes. These are all things that those of us who were sick beforehand knew about the world, but we were confronted every day with the culture and people in power telling us that that's not the case, that we're just making that up, that we're just being sensitive, that we're just crazy I hope that explains it. I don't know how in-depth I should go because it's, it's not supposed to be about the pandemic, right? No, I understand what you're saying. I think it's just good to give people that understanding because I think people that are able-bodied don't tend to think about those things unless they're caring for somebody or close to somebody. So basically, people in that community felt disposable, too, is something that I saw as like, well... 
you know, this, yeah. this will only get you if you have a compromised immune system. So people with compromised immune systems were like, okay, so are you saying that we don't count? I know that was a big part of that experience too. Absolutely. There's another thing that I left out. Access. Everybody works, worked from home for a little while if they were able, right? Doing distance learning for schools. I had to drop out of school when I was 14 because they didn't have the technology back then. But there are people going to school, you know, in, in 2019 who had to quit because the schools claimed that they couldn't accommodate their needs. And it's the same thing with businesses. You know, everyone thinks that the laws prevent discrimination against disabled people, but there isn't anyone enforcing those laws. There isn't anyone making sure that our workplaces and schools accommodate our needs. And really what they've been telling us this whole time, as long as this technology has existed, is that, you know, we don't have any way to make that possible for you. And then the pandemic happened and suddenly everybody's working from home. Everybody's going to school from home. And it was a big revelation for the disabled community that these people were just lying the whole time. They just didn't want to do it. Yeah. I don't even know if they were lying some maybe, but I think it was more, we can't be bothered. And then we were, we were forced to be bothered. So is that the insight that you had or maybe even vindication or a sense of validation? Like, look, this is possible. We've been telling you this is possible this whole time. Yeah, it was vindication. And the reason that that's important for me specifically to understand that these things were real that I had experienced is that suddenly I realized that I have knowledge and experience to share and I want to put my energy towards serving this community of people like me who are disenfranchised and I didn't think that was something that I could do before And I'll be honest, I didn't know how I was going to do it until we got started to get relief money. And, you know, I'm in a privileged position where I have SSI. um, So I do have some amount of income and support. I live with a roommate. That helps a lot. So I was able to use that money to get coaching with Joanna and figure out what I wanted to do and how to make it happen. And I think that I have figured that out. It's really exciting. I think you have figured it out too. I'm having so much fun watching you on Twitter. For anybody who's listening to this right now, I'm going to make Miranda say her name very slowly on Twitter so you can go follow her if what she's saying interests you because she writes fiction microfiction stories with disabled characters as protagonists, as all the characters, really. I would love for you to just quickly tell people what that is and where to find you on Twitter so they can follow along. Yeah, there aren't enough stories out there that feature disabled people and sick people as protagonists, as heroes, doing things that are amazing and, you know, just living our lives. I really wanted to read that stuff. And so I write microfiction because that works with my energy. And I think that a lot of people 
are looking for that too. People who have my energy level and people who are busy want, you know, short stories. And I post those on Twitter at M as in Mary, L as in Leo, Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. And you do a lot of boosting too of the disability community mixed in. It's, it's a good mix. Yeah, we're doing some work right now around getting improvements for SSI. Most people probably know what SSDI is. That's the disability that you pay into over the course of your career in case you become disabled and can't work. Mm -hmm. SSI is uh, also with the Social Security Administration that's funded by taxpayers, and that's for people who weren't able to work, who were born disabled or became disabled as children, also some very low-income elderly people. And these programs provide income, access to Medicaid, and some other benefits, but they're, they're very limited. They're very outdated. So I think one of the big things that came out of this potentially is a stronger sense of community, because once the world moves on, you know, you all have each other and these connections you've made, and hopefully you can help yourselves in a way with this new information that like, oh, this is possible. Now you know that you have a fighting chance of what you want to make happen happen because you've seen it happen. I feel like I witnessed people making things happen or not choosing not to make things happen, you know, on a collective level during this pandemic, truly by force of will. You had the technology to do all of these things before, and we simply chose not to do them. And when we needed to, like really, really needed to for the entire world, we stepped up and used our will to do it. And there have been a lot of places where we didn't have the will to do what needed to be done. We're kind of dealing with the fallout of that. And, you know, what that showed me personally is that I can do what I want for me and especially for my community, if I have the will to go after it. I'm a firm believer now in only we can save us. Yeah, I'm feeling that. And our communities can grow and mix together and mingle, like different communities can join forces. And that's something I see happening on Twitter as well. I just notice like one community of people that identify a certain way, they'll rise up, they'll have insights, they'll support each other. And then I see other communities learning from that and building that into their messaging and what they're doing to support each other. I definitely think we can model these things for each other and that seeing is believing and we saw what was possible during this pandemic in terms of accessibility. And, but again, we saw what's possible when communities rise up and people get excited and they take action and all that good stuff. We can channel our anger for good. There's, there's a lot of outrage. And I think that a lot of us took that and channeled it into things that we needed to make things happen. You know, if there's one thing that I would like everyone to take away from the pandemic, it's to remember what you saw, whatever that was for you personally, and hold on to that with a death grip. 
And whatever you want to do with that, you can do it. You just have to keep hold of it. Mm. One image that always comes to mind for me, not always, but often comes to mind for me in certain situations was this woman in the snow. It was a very icy day and she couldn't get anywhere in her wheelchair. She was in a wheelchair and filming to give us her perspective of like, look, they haven't cleared this walk. So I have to ride my wheelchair out in the ice, in the snow, in this heavy traffic, just to get to the store to get the thing I need. And for some reason, her taking us on that ride from her perspective really stuck in my head. So now I notice like, oh, that's not accessible or somebody that has to get their groceries, they can't get in, they have to go around and like risk their lives riding this chair into the middle of traffic. And and it was, it was impactful. And I think it's important to do what you said, to keep our hearts open and remember what we saw, particularly when it comes to each other, because I know denial is a coping mechanism. It's part of how we move on. I think that denial of like, you didn't see what you saw is something that people do to be able to move on. And I think we can move on and keep our hearts open at the same time. Yeah, totally. I'm certainly not immune to it. I saw a lot of these things when I became ill when I was 13. To be fair, that was, you know, my initiation into adulthood. It was early. It was extremely difficult. Uh, I definitely wanted to make that all go away. And so I think that's a natural instinct. I was wondering, Miranda, are there some things that got better regarding, obviously, shipping, but technology? What got better in your life with the changes? I can see my doctors over the phone or Zoom now. Going to the doctor is extremely difficult for me. I'm basically housebound. Leaving my house would be easier if I had a wheelchair, but I don't. So just being able to see, uh, like, it's not ideal. There are some things you have to see a doctor in person for, but to get my medication and be able to talk to a therapist when I need to, that was huge. It's funny. I talked about how my kind of aha moment I had in the fall of 2020, it really lifted the lid on my shadow and I'm seeing it all the time. I, it's like with me here all the time. And even in having this conversation, I'm like, oh, great. We started on this heavy note. And now people aren't going to listen to the whole thing because we weren't starting with like all oh, this positivity. Make it fun. Make it fun. And I literally had to like silence that part of my voice to hear what you were saying or I would miss it. I would be up in my head doing that. You know, like, how do we turn this around? How do we how do we keep this fun for the audience? And I think that's a really weird shadowy thing that I just I'm just going to out here right now because I've noticed this in myself, how I can miss something important. And it's usually someone else. It's other people that are important, maybe even my cat. You know, they're trying to say something and I'm like, can't be bothered right now or no, 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 you know, like this is too much right now. And so I'm kind of loving that we led with all of that, Miranda. Thank you. That's why I wasn't quite sure how in-depth, like detailed to go, because I know that it's it's really difficult for people to hear, mm-hmm. especially since, you know, a lot of us are still in the pandemic. But look, the positive thing for me is that I am writing, which is something that I've wanted to do my whole life. 
And, you know, it took me this long to figure that out. And I'm doing it in a way that is sustainable for me with the body that I have and that serves the people that I love and want to be in community with. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that I think it's okay to share things that are hard to hear, Miranda. I mean, I appreciate it. The last year has been full of things that are, have been hard to watch, and yet we had to. To close our eyes would have been inhumane. And so I appreciate that you are true to your voice and you keep speaking. Does somebody else want to take a turn, share what you learned? Um, I can kind of jump in a little bit. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to share everything, but one of the things that Miranda was saying resonated a point with me of like, it doesn't make me a bad person if I don't feel good or if I'm feeling sick or tired or going through something stressful. And I think that it was a lesson like, I had to do health checks and say how I was feeling and whether I would be able to go into work and just be honest about that. And I think that I had permission to not feel good (laughs) in the midst of this. And I think that other times it's like, you have to be well and better and do all the things. And if you're not doing everything, it's like going to get in trouble. So it was sort of like in the midst of this waking up like as an adult where you have the, where I have the dream where I forgot my homework <laughs> and then I wake up and realize I don't have any homework. <laughs> I don't have to show up and do this or be there or meet this deadline. I can go a little bit slower. I can be gentler. If I feel sick, I can say that's how I'm feeling and take care of myself. It's just been a time of, of learning to, to slow down and make accommodations for myself and then be open to making those for others too. So knowing that not everything is going to go according to some idealistic plan, be flexible, be open. That is Mariela Janelle from the care neighborhood. (laughs) You want to tell us what that is? Sure. Sure. So um, the care neighborhood is an online community and we kind of work with three principles of creativity, connection, and coziness. And if I were to share more, I think a lot of my lessons from this time of pandemic come under those categories. But mainly right now, what we've been doing is just doing small rituals with like photographs and sharing little thoughts on Instagram around certain themes per month. So we had a blessing of creativity and thought of creativity in several ways like with spring plants, with keeping a home, with creating meals. And we had a pet blessing. So just sharing love for all the uh, fluffy creatures, fish, birds, (laughs) little crawlies, um, and just sharing care to the other creatures in our lives, as well as a plant blessing and thinking about all the ways that plants nurture and nourish us. So just each day to have a statement or a or a moment to reflect on that and send um, blessing and love. So that's the care that the care neighborhood gives. I think related to kind of what I was saying about not having to have everything put together perfect, or I don't really have a homework assignment. It's just been a slow evolution to make the care neighborhood 
something. It's a thing. It's out there, but I'm not really striving with it. It just is what it is. And it's a space to join. So you could follow at the care neighborhood on Instagram. We also have a website, thecareneighborhood.com. And that would be kind of longer recaps of those blessings and things. Yeah. It's interesting how 2020, I keep not wanting to say the word pandemic. It it just feels, can a word be played out? I don't know. It feels insufficient to describe what we experienced, even though it is such a big word. It's like a science fiction movie word. It's not a word I thought I would ever experience. So it's hard Mm -hmm. for me still to put a label on it. I don't know what we just went through, but I know it was a time where we need what you're trying to create for people with the care neighborhood and what you're talking about, that feeling of like, you don't have to call in sick for work that day because we're all working remotely from home. And I'm wondering how many people have been sick and gone into work because they were afraid they would be fired or gone to school. I mean, I remember being really sick and going to school because I had no choice and being really sick and going to work or having to call to tell my boss I was sick. And I always thought that my boss would think I was lying. So I'd have to be like so dramatic about it, you know, like, no, really, I am pretty much dying. And, you know, uh, and then feeling guilty that I, it's just a whole experience. I'm wondering how that's all going to change now, if it will, going forward, because we've had a little taste of what it's like to step off that hamster wheel. And I think we experienced how much self-care we needed because we had a long time of not being able to go into the office. And I found the unwinding and the self-care. We needed a lot of time for that. There was a lot of damage done being on the hamster wheel our entire lives. And I know I'm generalizing, but for a lot of us, I think this hamster wheel, we didn't even know we were on until it stopped. Yeah. And I hope we do keep those lessons like this idea of getting back to normal that some of us have doesn't put us back on a hamster wheel, but that we continued even if we're not in crisis or actually sick, if we're just need a mental health break or we need rest, that we'll take it and not feel guilty. Can you imagine calling your boss? I need rest. (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny to me. I just like, I'm just thinking, Will that fly? You know, like, can you be like, I need to work from home today. I feel like it's going to be different with every job and with every boss and with every situation, but it's just going to be up for negotiation for a while now, I think. Imagine how beautiful the world would be if it was like that for everyone. I think the fear is that it will all fall apart. Nobody will ever want to work again. Nothing will get done. Everything will fall apart. We'll become weak as a nation or whatever. (laughs) Just even you saying that, I can already hear the people being, you know. That's what the capitalists want you to believe, but it's not working. I was just going to say here in Utah, because of COVID, they've decided that kids will now be allowed to take mental health days because of the stress they were under. Um, Panic attacks and anxiety not being able to figure out Zoom. And we have big families here. And so some of the kids were you know, using one computer for five kids and mom and dad were working at home. So the stress levels are pretty high. 
but the state finally said, okay, we really need to allow kids to take that time off and count it as an illness and they don't need a doctor's note. I did not hear that. I had no idea. That's so interesting. This is, this is our children's book author and poet and, and overall creative individual, Rachel Robinson <laughs> coming at you. Uh, do you want to make a little intro, Miss Grandma Grasshopper, AKA Rachel? My name's Rachel Robinson, but I go by Grandma Grasshopper on my social media. I guess it's going to be my pen name. I chose Grandma Grasshopper because, you know, Rachel Robinson's not very memorable. It's kind of a generic name. And I thought Grandma would be more approachable for the children. And I am finally a grandma now. And the Grasshopper part is just kind of a nod to my birth father, who was uh, really big into Kung, Kung Fu theater. I believe that's where Grasshopper is for the, is that where Grasshopper came from, Kung Fu theater? And, you know, he passed when I was 16. So my aunt and I, so his sister, we have this nickname for him, Grasshopper. And so whenever we feel his presence, we'll call each other up and we'll say, hey, Grasshopper came to visit today. So he's the Grasshopper, not me, but I just kind of pulled from that. So my social media, I'm at GMA, so GMA Grasshopper on Twitter. And then on Instagram, it's Grandma underscore Grasshopper. So I was thinking my couple of takeaways from 2020. One is connected to your previous episode, previous episodes about spirit of place. And I live in Northern Utah and in my neighborhood, I just kind of lucked out, I guess. I have a nature area right by my house and it's protected and it's a little bit lower than the rest of the neighborhood. So they call it a wetlands, but, you know, it's Utah. How wet is it going to be? If it's green and it doesn't need have sprinklers throwing water on it, it counts as a wetland, I think. But there are trees and deer and pheasants, so many pheasants, so many birds. So because I'm high risk, I didn't go very many places, you know, basically to the doctor's office and to the grocery store. And so I spent a lot of time at home and I was so grateful to have a yard and to have this nature area. And so I got this app, it's called BirdNet and you can record the birds and it will detect their sounds and it will tell you what kind of bird it is. That's and so cool. That's it is so cool. Fun. It's like those plant, it's, plant identification yeah. apps, but with bird sounds. I love that. And you guys probably are aware because I've posted about it, but I walk my cats on a leash every day. <laughs> they or they kind of walk me, but I give them, you know, about 10 minutes if the weather's good. So that's 30 minutes of me committing to be outside. And so I'm standing out there with my phone recording these bird sounds and you can send them in and they will, you can confirm, you can give them feedback, whether it's really that bird or not, but we're on a migratory bird path. And we have a refuge not too far from us. So just tons and tons of birds. And so that is my connection to spirit and place. Um, that's just my way of relaxing, I think. So turn off the news and go out there and being with nature. So that's one of the things that came out of this experience is yeah. just spending a lot of time in nature. Yeah. 
kind of out of necessity because I couldn't go anywhere else. So that was, that was my escape. Yeah. I'm wondering, did anybody else here have that experience? Because my son and I definitely did. There was nowhere to go but outside. And I felt so privileged to live in Los Angeles because we have amazing weather and so many hiking trails and so much nature to explore. I saw my city in a way I have never seen it. And I've lived here for a couple of decades. So it was sort of shocking how amazing this place is. I've always loved it, but I did not understand how beautiful the nature is here until I couldn't go to where the people are. (laughs) I had to go out where the plants and animals were. That was the thing when the pandemic first hit that even though there was a lot of chaos and unknown and fear, I was so excited because all over the world, so many people were turning to nature and seeing dolphins and bears and all these animals that you would never see where you are normally because there's too many people. And as a environmentalist my whole life, I felt that this is another thing people are waking up to and tuning into is like, oh, yes, we do care about this place. And we do feel so much better when we have a sense of home and we're connected to where we live and the natural organisms that we share that space with, I think that is a gift. And I mean, I can't imagine what it's like if you live in a super urban place and maybe only have pigeons, but hey, love your pigeons if that's what you've got. I know house plants are really big, like in New York City and some of these other places. So if you can't go out to nature, then bring it in, have your tea. I live I- in the suburbs, but My roommate and his brother took up fishing during the pandemic. And it's really interesting to hear them talk about nature because they're not, they're not pagans. My roommate at least is an atheist. He's a very serious person, but he really enjoys nature. And I I just love hearing them talk about that connection from just like a, an everyday person perspective, as opposed to how we usually talk about it here. I have this little joke in my head that I like to run to amuse myself sometimes is, you know, the whole buildup to, I think it was 2012, the Mayan calendar, the countdown. I feel like if that would have counted down to 2020, I would have been so in, I would have been like, oh my God, they were right. But something happened in 2020 where I want to say the veil was lifted. The illusion was lifted and we came back to being the animals that we are, the creatures we are, our need for community and each other, the need to hear each other's needs, but nature and all these things that I don't know why we control and deny and push down for the sake of the machine, but we we have. And I could understand that in theory. Like I, get, I got the concept, you know, when people would talk about it, but to experience it and like a whole year of it, it kept going on and on and on. And so there were like more layers and more layers. And and now I feel like in some sense, we've been given back to ourselves. And I, I don't think you were done, Rachel, with, with what you were saying. We kind of just hopped on this little tangent here, but it's an important one. I think we were confronted with death. It brought up memento mori for us, the importance of life, the importance of the people we love, but also this nature piece, I think is so huge. Something else I noticed, because I'm high risk, I did need to stay home. 
And I really realized currently, at least I have a lot of economic privilege. I was already doing school online, so that didn't change very much. I'm getting my master's in social work online, but being in social work, that makes you really pay attention to what other people are going through. And because I do have the yard, you know, I, I could go outside and enjoy the weather. And I realized, you know, because I am high risk, I, I had to stay home. But I could, because we were in a position that allowed for that, and not everybody could. And so a lot of people had to go to work and they had to put themselves at risk. It just really hit home how fortunate I am to not have to go through that. And so one thing that came out of that is I started donating money. You know, I have two sponsored children on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. I started giving to the Okini list, which is also on Pine Ridge, where they, you can go to okini.net, so it's O-K-I-N-I, and you can buy someone a pair of shoes or a pair of pants or a shirt. It's, for the, it's serving the same community. And I was giving to people who had veterinary bills that they couldn't pay for. So I was sharing this wealth because I was shocked that it was coming in and I was grateful. So back to the, the reservation. And in Utah, we have a lot of Native Americans as well. So people who live far, far out from internet access, some people don't have electricity or running water even they were all falling behind in school. So some of the school buses um, were turned into Wi-Fi hotspots and they would take them out into the, the tiny towns and the people who had transportation would at least get close to the bus and try to catch up on their homework. So some of the tribes were able to get Chromebooks to the students after a while. Some of them did packets for a while and eventually they got them some Chromebooks so they could have some kind of internet access. But it just makes you realize, you know, these kids without internet access, they were falling even that much farther behind. So as a social worker, I really key in on that. And so it made me, it made me want to reach out even more to those marginalized communities. So as a children's author, when I get to that point where I'm traveling and going to see schools and going to bookstores and whatnot, I really want to focus on those marginalized communities. Such a great idea. I think a lot of people in the West, we had a privileged experience. And because of the internet, we were able to see that not everybody had that experience, people from other countries in particular, but also pockets of our country, like you're talking about. And there was a lot of sharing going on, a lot of people sharing their stimulus checks and mm -hmm. helping neighbors. Again, like this idea of community I think it's good to put pressure on the government and demand things because we pay their bills and we contribute to taxes to make our lives function collectively. So it's important to stay on them and make sure that money goes where we think it's important it goes. It's our money. But beyond that, I think it's not helpful to expect them to do everything for us because they don't and they have different motivations a lot of times. So I think we have to remember to be there for each other and to have these smaller communities and to share and to check in on each other and all of that stuff as well. It's not just about marching in the streets. It's making sure that your neighbor has enough food to make it through the week. And if you're able to help, awesome. 
And if you're not able to help at least hearing what they're saying, you know, and, and being there for them on some level. I just appreciate everybody who the, the frontline workers that includes, you know, the people at the checkout at the stores, they couldn't leave work. A lot of them. And because of where they were working at the time, you know, their job didn't go away, but mine did because I was a sub and that made me eligible for unemployment. So it was just ironic that they were making so much less than I was and I was unemployed. And that's why I, I thought this is really important to share this, that share is. the wealth. And so I did. Yeah, that was illuminating. All of the people who, I mean, they're just working maybe like an entry-level position at the grocery store. And now all of a sudden they're responsible for managing behavior of all these strangers and people yelled at them and threatened them. And they're supposed to do a good job and stay calm and also not get sick. And like, it was just so layered for them. They 100% are frontline workers and- that was incredible that they were put in that position. And hopefully we all realize how important they are to our lives. Can I call out some other frontline workers that I've been thinking sure. about? I just want to mention the environmental service folks at the hospital and the janitorial staff. I think that when we think about frontline, we're thinking of some of those face-to-face, but those folks show up and take care of things. And we're taking care of making things clean and going in after sickness and death at the hospital and having to turn those rooms around. And they are some of the lower paid staff, janitorial and environmental service, but there was definitely a necessary work. So I, as we're calling out retail and all that, I just, I have to shout out those folks. You work with them. You have firsthand yes. experience of this. Yeah. So just for context, I'm a hospital chaplain as well. So yeah, definitely want to call out the environmental service and just say how amazing the work is that folks like that do. Mm. There was an article in a major newspaper. I can't remember which one in the last week of a man, one man who worked, I think, in a hospital and it was his job to remove the dead bodies. And he did not want his name mentioned in the article. They were painting him as a hero and he didn't want his name mentioned. He said, it's his honor. And it's going to make me cry trying to remember what he said, but he said, it's his honor and his privilege to do that work. And he, he loves his job and he takes it very seriously. And so they did this piece on him and he's so humble about it. He, he wouldn't let them use his name. He just wants to fly under the radar, but do this work, but he sees it as this great service he's doing, which he is. All of those people are. And it was really nice that this paper shined a light on that. And that was Mariella. For those that are listening, she's the care neighborhood lady (laughs) who also happens to be a chaplain and a celebrant. Does somebody else want to take a turn and share? So hi, everyone. I'm Alia Lux. I'm the hostess of the Mystic Praxis blog slash podcast. You can find me at mysticpraxis.com or mysticpraxis on Twitter and Instagram. So I had sort of been on a spiritual and artistic journey headed into 2020. 
But uh, for anyone who sort of knew me before that, to describe my life as a little bit overextended would be an understatement. I'm a very busy person. I think it's because I have a lot of different interests and I have a hard time kind of, you know, saying no to experimenting or exploring an idea that I find really interesting. But that said, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an introvert. So when the call came to stay home, I was excited because I've never had the opportunity to to not have all of these sort of activities in my life. And I thought, okay, I, I will, I will stay home. I can, maybe I can rest because I will have a little more time. I was still working. I still had a lot of things going on, but it just seemed like maybe life would, maybe I given that space would allow my life to slow down a little bit. At the same time, though, and this is sort of ironic, I think, but, you know, going along with being an introvert and being the type of person who being told to stay home sounds like an adventure. I, I spend a lot of time on technology, with technology, on social media, and I, I find it so tiring. So while I was sort of, you know, maybe had this short, longer than I expected, of course, um, short opportunity to really sort of go inside and do art projects and rest and read, you know, the idealized life that some of us painted for ourselves of things that we should be doing with our air finger quote spare time. Um, now that we didn't, you know, I didn't have a commute. There were other, there were things that just weren't happening anymore. So I theoretically I had all of this spare time. I just found it obviously, or maybe not obviously, but, you know, like now looking back, obviously it was not spare time. It was, it was difficult. And that technology, which I actually was part of what I wanted to withdraw from became kind of a lifeline. Like I found myself spending even more and more time with technology, even as I knew that too much doom scrolling is not good for anyone and at the same time that the, these things were happening, I was like, you know, I could feel the irony as I was living through it, that <laughs> that here I was with this spare time and I was just filling it up with this, this behavior that was me trying to feel a connection with others, but wasn't, wasn't good for me. Uh, at the same time, I was doing a yoga teacher training, sort of an advanced training and the reason why I pursued it is because I was really interested in helping people deal with mental health issues, stress reduction, and what kept coming up over and over again was, was trauma associated with chronic pain, with being ill. And so some of the things that we were, or, or in a marginal, or some other kind of marginalized population, or having received some form of abuse. And so seemed like every section of this training was about how people hold trauma in their body no matter where no matter where those experiences come from we and we we all sort of um over time continued to kind of capture these experiences and we we hold on to them and so different techniques that we can use to kind of release trauma from from the body and then thing that was interesting and I think you know was something that we actually discussed in class too is that the whole world was experiencing different kinds and different layers 
of trauma. And as an instructor or, you know, as someone who is trying to find tools to help, the main thing that we talked about was, you know, how do we hold space for people and make these tools accessible to them and, you know, connect with people? Because that's what yoga means. It, there's sort of different ways of describing it, yoke to yoke or to connect but I think that's why a lot of people who become teachers or who who develop a practice, there's there's a connection with others, there's a connection with self, there's a connection with the breath, there's a connection with the body. And so I don't have a big shocking realization or, you know, um, learning that came out of this. I, I feel like I'm still learning the lesson. I'm the type of person as a lot of people who are listening to this and a lot of people who are on this call are, I'm a person who wants to be able to hold space for others. And of course, a big part of that is the, the impulse to hold space for others is great unless you're giving yourself license to ignore all of the things that you need to do to hold space for yourself and, you know, um, come to a place of helping others from a place where, you feel personally empowered and, and, you know, it's, it's sharing, but you know, you kind of have to put on, what is it called on the, on the airplane? You need to you put your something. mask on first. You your need oxygen. to put your mask on. Exactly. Put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. So the opportunity to have all of this time for myself, I am not sure that I have figured out yet how to left to my own devices, simply hold space for myself. And that is sort of a new part of my journey that I realized because of 2020, because before 2020, I just thought if I had a vacation or if I was able to work from home, if I had this, this time carved off from real life, that certainly I would fill it with all of these wholesome, helpful, you know, fun things for myself. But I, I don't want to beat myself up for simply surviving, if that sort of makes sense. That's a low bar. I did more than survive. I did thrive, but I, I don't want to beat myself up for the book that I didn't write and the 18 podcasts that I never actually recorded and all of those things. So I am really happy that 2020 is behind us. And I feel like I'm still learning some of the lessons that need to be learned but I appreciate the insight that the, the best way for me to hold space for myself has to come from holding my own center. When you were talking, I kept thinking about disconnecting and connecting and how we have to disconnect from all this, you know, whatever all this is, the, the internet, let's just say, <laughs> to connect with ourselves, with our homes, with our bodies, with the land we live on, with our families. And I think we had the fantasy that this free time would allow us to write the book and do the 18 podcasts and finally do all those fun things. But I honestly, I think a lot of us, we just needed to rest and we needed to feel it, to heal it, to let our feelings come up. I think that's partly why I was interested in having this conversation because I feel like I'm still digesting and whatever I lifted the lid on, it, it, at first it was a bit of a Pandora's box. It felt like everything was like ah, flying out at the same time. I just let go. 
I just stopped holding on to everything and trying to control everything and do everything. I let go. And I still feel like there's like little pieces that are like, oh yeah, I was in here too. Also me and me, you know, I have 47 years of control freakery. (laughs) It like all came like pouring out and then, you know, it takes time to process that. And, and then to figure out how we live in a capitalistic society. I'm not anti-capitalism, but it has for sure gone too far. Let's just call it the hamster wheel. How do we move forward and keep the lessons we learned and stay connected to ourselves and also be a part of the society and make our dreams happen? I'm really not sure what the answer is to that, but I'm, I'm in that space and I'm taking my time. I want to be really deliberate about the choices I make from here on out because I don't want to get back here to how I was before. I want I want a new way of being in the world. I have found and experienced that and I want to keep that with me. Right. And I think that the the idea of the treadmill is something that so I'm an experienced treadmillist. I may be running on two treadmills at the same time at any given time. With the removal of the treadmill, I feel like what I did is I actually found a new treadmill. I'm holding up my phone. Like you can almost kind of imagine it as a little treadmill as you sort of scroll through. But besides the fact that because I couldn't go out and about, or I wasn't going out and about, I wasn't going out and about, couldn't connect with people in person. And something like social media is a way to connect with people I can't connect with in person. I felt it was so important to bear witness to everything that was going on, it would have been easier to turn off, <laughs> to turn off the, the TV or the YouTube many times over the last year. But that didn't seem right either. I felt like I kind of had to see it. So I like the idea at least that we could be aware of the treadmill. We could choose our level of participation. And I really do think that it it's clear that the impulse is for connection. So there's lots of ways to use technology or to find and inspire connection in other ways besides those ways that leave one feeling depleted. Yeah. This whole idea too that has been around forever of it, if it bleeds, it leads and humans have a negativity bias. I feel like there's being aware and witnessing and taking note of what's happening, but then that is exploited. And then it turns into like, they're hooking you with that and then keeping you in a state of like heightened tension and adrenaline and fear. It calls for extreme discernment to notice like how much is the perfect amount for me. Like I need to receive this. I need to witness this. And then I need to live my life. Like I feel like everybody has to decide where that point is for them. And I have no answers about that because it's going to be individual, but yeah, I've, I've, I've had to learn that for myself. Like how much is too much and how much is not enough and where's that sweet spot? Well, and as a professional yoga teacher with all that advanced training, I can tell you that when you are in that, it bleeds, it leads receiving mode that that activates your sympathetic nervous system and you actually literally have all kinds of stress hormones flooding your system. And so being able to give yourself an outlet is really important because otherwise that's just sitting in your, that's just sitting in your body. You just continue to hold that. And um, 
why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Figure out a way to let it go. So you can maybe like dance it off. That's, that's, that is something that I did find to be somewhat successful. Just dance it off. Mm-hmm. Sweat it out. Yeah. It's funny to see the different, like different communities have different takes on this too. Like some are like, you have to be in it all the time. And then others get into a very spiritual bypassy kind of place where they're like, let it on. None of this is happening. It's not real. So I'm not, you know, it's funny. There's just this massive spectrum. And I would just encourage people to realize it is a spectrum and you get to decide where you land on it. And a community cannot decide that for you or a ideological what cult (laughs) you know what I mean like somebody else's ideals and standards do not have to be your own like you are your own sovereign being and you get to decide where that point is for you I'm getting preachy who else wants to contribute here can I jump in on that idea knowing and seeing what's actually happening and and distinguishing that from maybe the the panic and the fatalistic thoughts, but being in that point of realism. And I think that this time has sort of been a masterclass in mindfulness in the midst of trauma and some direct trauma and pain and some just experience of public grief. Daniel and I actually did a little <laughs> talk about that about a year ago about public grief and trauma. So kind of thinking, what is what is actually happening? What is happening to someone else? What is happening to me? And just really slowing it down to think about that and think about what, what am I feeling? What feelings are mine and what feelings am I experiencing because I'm seeing something else that's going on there? And just that mindfulness technique of processing trauma, of going really basic. It's the five, four, three, two, one method of five things you five things you see, four things that you can touch, three things that you can hear, two that you smell, and one that you taste. And obviously you would um, modify that depending on your sensory abilities. But just going really what's happening right now. And yeah, if it's bleeding, maybe that is this thing to address. But maybe my mind is racing or my feelings are going over something that's not actually right in the moment, you know? And so the, that balance in a realistic way. But Daniel, you referred to, I just want to make sure people that are listening to the podcast, they know that Daniel Shaw of Poignant Passing in the Virtual Doula Death Network is here. That's a mouthful to say. <laughs> my tongue didn't want to keep up with me there, but I feel like I said it right. Who are you, Daniel? I'm Daniel Shaw. Yes, I'm a duel with the Poignant Passing and the Virtual Death Doula Network. And yeah, I've been listening to everybody so far. Thank you so much, everyone, for sharing. And I'll, I'll say my piece about the pandemic. And, well, not the pandemic, just sort of my response to the pandemic, I guess, is what we're actually talking about. I'll start off by saying that I got a lot out of everything for the last year and a half. Obviously, there's a lot of not great things that have happened over the last year and a half, but in general, I was able to respond and get a lot out of the last year and a half of getting shut down. And yeah, it started you know at the beginning. It was funny actually, because I'd been working from home for a few years beforehand. So when things first started locking down, I didn't even really notice all that much. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I evidently lead a pretty reclusive sort of <laughs> not going out type life already. <laughs> But as far as, 
you know, sort of the the change. It was like it was like okay, I'm here with myself, and I'm going to be here with myself for <laughs> indefinitely. And I started prioritizing things like self care and self compassion. And just sort of trying to be in tune presence. Yes, very, yeah, mindfulness, very much so. Yoga became a thing for me about this time last year. And that was, I got on the mat one time and it was like, I was like, wow, I need to be doing this every day. And I, I've been pretty good about that since. That was a fantastic way of just sort of, it enabled me to start building rituals. Like I have rituals and stuff like that already, but the whole over the last year, I've been able to really flesh out and develop a bunch of stuff to sort of basically just keep me sane on a day-to-day basis. And I'm very pleased with where I've gotten and sort of the practices that I've been able to develop. That's the thing, like I've been taking advantage of this to sort of like develop sort of my own practices to, to keep myself sane. Obviously, yoga is, that, you know, that's one very easy example that a lot of folks can do. I'd like to do sort of more internal stuff also. And even like I've had uh, good meditations and stuff like that to focus on. Well, well, one of the things that like I had a great meditation last December where I got finally in touch with sort of like love inside me and the fact that every emotion that I experience is ultimately coming from within me. Even, you know, somebody else might be triggering it externally or something like that. But if I feel great, that's coming from within me. If I feel love, that's coming from within me. If I feel like shit or anger, that's all coming from within me. And recognizing that and being able to say, okay, so if I do feel crappy, what do I do with this now? Because something else might have started that, but ultimately I'm the one generating that. And sort of, you know, recognizing that and being able to, you know, I, I took classes to like get better when I do have those feelings like, okay, now what do I do now so that I can sort of like get to the bottom of why I feel crappy and sort of release whatever needs to be released or whatever it needs to be. It really is mindfulness and it is constantly developing. Like even in the last, in the last like week or two, I just implemented a new practice for myself along the lines of uh, Mariella's the five, four, three, two, one. I was walking the dog like a week or two ago and like I managed to drop into sort of that present moment without even really intentionally doing it that much. I was like, whoa, this is really nice. And, (laughs) but then, but then like, how can I do this intentionally? And that's that five, four, three, two, one is basically what I've been doing. But like to the point where even just a couple of days ago, I noticed being, really stressed all of a sudden I was tense I realized like oh my god I've been clenching my jaw for I don't know how long but it was like sore so I'm like okay I'm gonna I use my phone there's an app that will do like random reminders however many times a day during certain time periods so I set it up so that like for the last few days I've been getting random reminders to do a when it goes off do a physical check like head to toe where am I at with everything and then once I've done that and released whatever needs to be released to getting into the present moment and trying to be as present and mindful. And actually, once I get into that, trying to stay present and mindful as long as possible. But, that, you know, that's sort of like the end result of 60 months of doing stuff like this is where I've gotten that that's the sort of stuff that kind of happens that I'm doing on a regular basis. I focus on being not attached to outcomes and stuff like that. That's a common meditation that fits in nicely with being mindful. And, we, you know, we get into... Talk about consumption of media. That's something I've been very good. I used to be a news junkie. I still follow it. There was a period where I kind of cut off altogether because it wasn't wasn't helping, but I am much more careful about the media I consume. I never deleted my Facebook account completely because I need it for work stuff, but I don't go on Facebook personally anymore and haven't for months, and that's been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that's my feelings on what's been going on for me for 
pandemic stuff. Well, not pandemic stuff, but sort of my own personal stuff um, that has been a result of me initially getting forced to sit with myself. Well, it's interesting because you, I think there's just so many caretakers here right now. People who want to be of service to our fellow human beings. The reason you and Mariella did the grief, you did that presentation on grief, which was perfectly timed is because you are a death doula. She works as a chaplain. Your focus is on serving other people. And what you're practicing with meditation and mindfulness, it's so interesting how that can then serve other people, but you have to like have it for yourself first. So you just on a basic level, so you know what the heck you're talking about, (laughs) you know? And it's awesome that you can have those insights and you can have those realizations and then you can bring them to the community, to other people, and you can model that for people. I think that's really powerful. Absolutely. And just, and being, being able to be mindful just in general is very, very helpful in spaces like that. Yeah. It's a good endorsement of the need for practice too. You're like meditating and practicing mindfulness. And then one day you're just walking through the park with your dog and you notice you just accidentally slip into a mindful state. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, it was <laughs> Like for several days, like it was happening there, like it happened in the morning, like 630 in the morning out walking the dog. And all of a sudden I'm like, boom, in the present moment, I'm in the now. And I'm like, well, this is kind of nice. I'm like, how can I, like, what's going on here? How did I get here? How can I continue to get here? This shit works. I love those moments where you're like, yeah, this actually works. Very yeah. cool. Hi, I'm Rachel Stravelli. I am a writer, an intuitive coach, and... I'm deeply connected to nature. I have a lot of knowledge of nature and growing things. And well, pre the pandemic, I had just moved six months beforehand. And prior to that, I had a homestead for seven years. It was amazing. Tons of garden beds on a half an acre and berries throughout the whole season, all different kinds. And I, being an environmentalist, and a homesteader, I was like looking forward to, okay, like I see how these natural systems are going to keep on going if we treat them like this and we're headed for a crisis. But because of the size of my family and where we were in life, we needed to move home. So we did. And then six months later, I felt like, wait a minute, I don't have my homestead anymore. I'm just in a little suburban development with 0.2 acres and no garden beds. And I had been working from home, so I was all happy with that. But then all of a sudden, both my kids and my husband are at home. And I feel like, wait, you're in my space now? (laughs) But still, we were initially flowing and it was going okay. And I was having, I've had epiphanies all throughout. And like several other folks have said, that's still evolving. For me, it's been I would say a deeply spiritual epiphany after epiphany every couple of months and a recommitment to self-care. Every couple of months I realized what I was doing worked for part one of the pandemic, but it didn't work for part two, six months in. And supporting two children who, one of whom was two, he didn't understand what was going on. And he's clearly to me an extrovert who also has a lot of sensory needs and low need for sleep. So it was very intense. And I feel like that for me, that is part of the 
what we're still working through is me helping my children to get over anxiety and traumas that they have received or taken in or whatever from the pandemic. And so being present to them and trying to work through my own stuff, having moved really right before the pandemic, not only felt like I know we all had our various levels of isolation, but I felt like I hardly knew anyone where I was and was struggling with the two-year-old with special needs to try and figure out how do I work with this kid who I can't explain why we don't get to see people anymore and trying to meet his needs. So I kept on tuning back into my own spiritual practice and I'm an active dreamer. So my dreams were giving me messages and I just kept on thinking, okay, if I'm using all the tools at my facility in other ways, what other spiritual tools can I bring in? Some of that is the mindfulness. Some of it for me led me to, as a young child, I was really and very intuitive and very like I saw spirits and had these other psychic skills that I shut down and during the pandemic I felt like uh I think I need those skills back if I can turn them on again that's still an evolving process but um I have been working with my dreams a lot over the past year and learning more about energy work and it has helped me to help my kids to connect with them on a soul level and give them resources, have them speak to me, especially, like I said, my two-year-old who can't tell me, this is what I'm going through, mom. That has been a really, for, for me, that's the personal transformation that has been ongoing throughout the pandemic. And even last night I had a dream. Joanna, you were telling me in my dream. <laughs> I know. Well, I often, not only do I learn from people during the day, but at night they come in my dreams and teach me. And so you were telling me, oh, well, there are 12 archetypes and your son is showing you the shadow self of you that you need to deal with, blah, blah, blah. You didn't say blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, you know, this makes sense. <laughs> and so when these experiences happen, then I journal about it. I delve deep into it. And some of the time I'm receiving dreams that relate to world events that are happening or collective events. Cause I feel like each of us, you know, we have our own individual experience, but it's also mirroring these big trends that are happening in the collective. And for me, I've had to tune very periodically tune out or be careful about what I consume from the media because I already am going through a lot and in my dreams and being having so much empathy for others it's like that's enough for me to deal with I don't need 5,000 other people's ideas about what's going on I really even though for me the process is not over. And a lot of us said we're still evolving in some ways. I feel that that's the same for both our country and hopefully the world. Like I keep on telling myself, I hope that all of these glimpses we've had of what's happening with social justice, what's happening with awareness about we need to value our frontline workers and care for 
people who are disabled population, I hope that we start to restructure society and have universal income and recognize all the different ways that like kids' mental health days, that sounds amazing. My daughter and son both could use those. Like when the pandemic first hit, my introverted daughter, I think she was like, great, we just get to stay at home. I love it. Yeah, I think it's interesting for people who have a lot of spiritual tools that have been doing this work for a long time. And I know you teach this stuff, Rachel. You should give a shout out to your URL, by the way. It's Soul Pioneer and soul as in the soul within, not the soul of your shoes. My husband's always like, is someone really going to think that you're into (laughs) shoe stuff? But hey, you never know. (laughs) Soul pioneer. Yeah, I think for those of us that have been doing this work for a very long time, particularly doing it online, where a lot of it is heady, you know, we're connecting head to head, we're connecting thought to thought. This was a strange experience of getting to put it all into practice in a really intense way because the situation Mm -hmm. was heightened. So I felt like I had these tools, but also... I was so grateful to all of the understanding I had, for example, around shadow work, all the learning I had done around shadow work. I felt like it was preparing me for the lid getting ripped off my shadow because then I knew what to do with it. I knew like, oh, I'm just going to be present to all of this and let it show me what it wants to show me without running away and hiding. And holy moly, it's still happening. (laughs) It's been like eight months. And I'm like, what? I am a bottomless pit of shadow. What in the heck? This really (laughs) interesting moment happened where perhaps, perhaps this is internalized patriarchy and capitalism. I don't know, but I was doing this guided meditation where you kind of separate out from this shadow character. You know, you pull that energy out of you and you put it in front of you. So you're facing your shadow face to face and your shadow is supposed to tell you what it wants, what it needs, and you're supposed to give it to the shadow. And I could not make myself do it. I did, had no empathy for it. I had no compassion. I was furious. All I wanted to do was punch it in the face and kick it and yell at it and tell it how much I hated it. And it was so sad. And it, and its main message was, I am scared. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And I'm scared. And I could not handle that. It was so interesting. And I wanted to be in that feeling instead of like being like, no, no, I know I'm supposed to hug the shadow and tell it I love it. I was like, what the hell? Like, this is horrible. I'm like a terrible person. I'm a bully. I'm all these things. But making space to have the actual experience instead of the prescribed experience, I think is really interesting. And there's healing in that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm also thinking prior to all this, I had these high hopes of like, oh, when these various awakenings that I think are going to happen, start happening. It's going to be so amazing. People are going to be like, wait, why was I a racist? That was so dumb. I'm just going to stop now. Why was I not honoring the planet? Oh, I'm changed now. And I, I mean, I'm sure it's naive, but I just thought it would be a lot of a smoother process, <laughs> even though that's not how we humans are. And even, yeah, like with myself, I thought, oh, I have all these tools. This is not going to be that hard for me. 
it was very hard. And being with my son, who's showing the various shadow aspects of myself that I don't want to see and, and all of these things, it's like I have to keep on kind of like Daniel was saying, if I don't have my practice every day, self-care, spiritual work, all that, then I can't show up for other people because I can't even show up for myself. And that, to me, it was kind of like the non-negotiable that I came out of this with. Whereas before, even though spirituality was important, it didn't happen every day. Self-care didn't happen every day, but now it has to happen every day. Yeah, we're so dismissive of self-care and ourselves, I think, as spiritual people. It's like an extra thing that us weirdos do. It's not like a necessity. I mean, the way it's perceived, but I think some of us learned that it is actually a necessity and it's going to have to be part of our daily lives if we yeah, want to continue on in a healthy way. Yeah, it is for me. And I know like if this pandemic had happened like a couple years earlier than this, it would have been a very different story for me. It would have been a, not, a much less pleasant one. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Joanna, that self-care is framed as luxury because we're a capitalist society. And so, of course, it's become a consumer, <laughs> consumerist, right? Self-care is something I buy. I treat myself to a spa day as opposed to it being it's personalized health care right? Mental wellness and connection with the divine. Those are things that people, they really do need them to be healthy. As, as you all were speaking, I was thinking about how one of the things that I sort of left out is that there's, there's a physical aspect to yoga, but I really realized last year how important physical practice or a physical outlet is for me to be able to create that space so that I can connect with um, things that are outside of myself. Five, four, three, two, one. I like that. That's a good one, Mariella. Yeah. I include adulting in self-care because adulting is one of the hardest things for me. I don't do adulting. That is not for me. I don't like it. (laughs) And so uh, my pattern with adulting is wait until there's emergency and then deal with it. Put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And then when there's an emergency, I'm forced to deal with it. So I've had to include just your basic adulting that I see all the other adults doing on a daily basis. I've actually had to make that part of my self-care and frame it that way. So I make sure those things get done. I just have to say that I feel so lucky to know you, Joanna, and your empathy for the adulting problem, because I feel like a lot of people ascribe that as a millennial thing. And so I don't know a lot of older people who have empathy for that and understand it. Yeah. So I'm old and I'm bad at adulting. (laughs) And Miranda is glad. That's something that I've learned in having an online business and being a person who, it took me a long time to understand I was in a leadership position. I thought I have to be, I have to have all my shit together to be a leader. I'm not a leader. Stop looking at me. Stop asking me questions because I'm a mess. And I realized I'm just a human. And so the more honest I can be about the ways that that's hard and the ways that I cope and the insights I have and outing my shadow, that is my service. That's my service. My service is you are not alone. I suck at this too. 
and I can be brave and I can have courage, which means you can, cause I'm scared too. That's kind of where I found the sweet spot that allowed me to show up again and again and again, just, just be so imperfect. It's your brand. You know what I mean? I would love to have a round table about that adulting. If that's something you're interested in, <laughs> this is coming from a perpetual five-year-old. Something back to what Allie was saying about self-care. I think because sometimes we see it as selfish, we don't do it. Uh, and we feel guilty when we do. And to avoid that sense of guilt, maybe we, we avoid self-care. But I think self-care is non-negotiable and everything else can be figured out. That's my personal motto. Self-care is non-negotiable and everything else can be figured out. Yeah. Your body, mind will break if you don't take care of it. And we live in a society that doesn't care about that and, in fact, expects you to break your body, mind on the hamster wheel. Uh, You have to choose to prioritize yourself. Yeah, that really speaks to what I'm interested in going forward. How can we be productive? How can we make a living? How can we serve our communities from a calm centered place where all our needs are met and we're not racing around and we're not stressed out. And I've had to let go of so many things that I loved because I had to practice extreme discernment. If I want to maintain this pace, which is slow (laughs) and more loving to myself, I cannot do it all. I cannot be the person I was before who did all the things and showed up for people all the time and constantly was cranking out the content and getting it done. I can do that. I know I'm capable of it, but it comes at a price I don't want to pay anymore. So I'm really interested in like, how do we move forward and still make our dreams happen and still, you know, get it done, but without driving our bodies and our minds and our emotions into the ground. That's a value of mine too. So I'm excited to see what happens. And I think to me, that connects to another thing that I saw happening during the pandemic that was exciting was new levels of creativity. So like we need to have a way of creatively doing what you just said, Joanna. And to tie back around to what Miranda was sharing in the beginning, I love the different creators who are giving us glimpses into a new way of seeing things so we can build more compassion and have more understanding of what it's like to be in a different body that's having a different experience. Because Joanna, when you were saying at the beginning about that woman with the wheelchair, I flashed to this book I read a couple years ago about, what is it called? Me Before You, Jojo Moyes. I'm not 100% sure of the title. It was made into a movie. But since then, anytime I go somewhere that's not accessible to a wheelchair, I think of that. And I I know a few people who are in wheelchairs, but it took reading a book for it to hit me. You know, and so these stories, Miranda, that you're making, I'm thinking they, it, they can sink into our consciousness in a way that maybe even feels more gentle than... You know, this podcast, yeah, there might be people who are like, they're getting into territory I can't handle. This is scary. But when it's fiction, sometimes it's easier to get into it. A hundred percent. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is something that Joanna actually wanted me to mention. Um, I haven't been talking about it in public a lot, but my next project is about a bunch of monsters who get together in a sort of mutual support group. And I'm hoping to come at people sideways through the perspectives of these different monsters who have different accessibility issues because of, you know, what they are. Like, there's going to be a sort of Black Lagoon, Tiaguana type of monster who lives in water, but wants to access the world outside of that. And of course, you know, werewolves, they have these anger issues and vampires. They can't go out in the sun. I'm hoping that it'll, it'll touch something for people. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It will look at how excited we get about superheroes. I don't even think we understand what that all means to us. Like people just get so attached to these superheroes and excited about these movies and comic books. And there's so much going on under, these are our mythologies for today. These are our myths and they're saying something about us. We're talking about ourselves in these other ways. And I think framing people that have certain disabilities, certain limitations as monsters is so spot on because for some reason we can receive that. We kind of get a kick out of a vampire or a werewolf and we're able to receive that in a more playful way, but still get that truth underneath it. Art is magic. Art is magic. Art is magic. I will say it till the day I die. Art is magic. (laughs) Would you rather hear me lecture you about something or tell a funny story? Love it. I can't wait for that to come out, Miranda. Mm -hmm. It's fun to get little glimpses with what you've been writing, even just like talking about your body as a monster, like my monster is whatever today. I, I feel like we're already getting a flavor of what that is and You and Rachel Robinson, Grandma Grasshopper, you have this in common, basically, where you're doing a micro story. Rachel's is in the form of a children's book, and yours is in the form of a tweet. But it's giving a full experience in a brief amount of time, which is, I think, all some people have time for these days. So I think it's fun to look at the different ways that we're exploring storytelling now because of technology. Like TikTok exploded. There are some geniuses on TikTok doing amazing things. Honey Ghost is my personal favorite. And they blow my mind. Like now we're getting all these different tools for expressing ourselves creatively and storytelling is changing. Not storytelling itself, but the way we tell the stories. Yeah, when I think about the people in the disability community on Twitter that I've noticed sort of redirecting their energy during the pandemic, um, one of them is Imani Barberin and she's big on TikTok now. And I think that she really found her outlet for her voice, which is, she's hilarious, but she's also very smart and knows a lot about the different aspects of social justice. So she talks about racism and, you know, issues around disability and people are really, really connecting with it. And it's great. I love it. There's that word again, connection. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel too connected sometimes. I feel like I'm overly connected. <laughs> I've taken great joy in disconnecting, which has allowed me to connect with other things. What the honeybee is doing in my yard? Why does it like this plant? And why does my cat always sit in this one place? I actually do want to be present to that stuff. That's not just the background to my life. That is my life. That's, mm -hmm. that is my life. That is real. And I guess I wasn't noticing it in the same way that I notice it now. And that's because we hit like peak connectivity <laughs> and people were yelling at me all the time on the internet about what they wanted me to do and how they wanted me to vote and what they wanted me to pay attention to and who they wanted me to cancel. And I was like, I could just walk away. I actually don't have to listen to your opinions today. And there was so much freedom in that. I don't want to be entirely disconnected from that, but I have really found a lot of joy in unplugging for long periods of time. I got a note from a gentleman that shares some practices like that. And he said that he turned off all screens, all screens, everything for an entire day and highly recommended it and said, you'll really, you'll be surprised what it does for you. I've not found a 24 hour period to do that with yet, but I intend to at some point. And oh, I do it. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I do it. I'll do it for three or four days in a row. Wow, that's fantastic. And I also, something I did long before the pandemic is I've never put the internet on my phone, ever. And it drives people bananas because they want to send, <laughs> send me things. But I love that my work is on the computer. So when I shut my laptop, it's like closing up for the day, like leaving shop and going. That's just kind of the picture I have in my mind. Like I'm closing shop, I'm locking the door and I'm going to my life. My job is closed so people can't follow me around all day <laughs> when I'm at the grocery store. I want to walk with my kid. I don't want to know. I do not want an alert from some social media, something or other, or even an email. And because I'm not an emergency worker, there literally is no emergency that anybody just has to get a hold of me right now. So I'm very glad that I have that boundary in place. And if anything, the pandemic only reinforced that for me. Well, thank you guys for doing this. I thought it was pretty cool. I, I hope that it encourages people to have these conversations because to me, this is a process. Like we have to keep processing so we can integrate all the things we learned and receive all that that we were given so we don't have to go through this all again if some you know big life explosion happens we can take it as a new chapter going forward with all these tools that we were just given instead of having to start from square one which happens when you try to bypass the experience and escape from it and deny it it's not going to go away it's going to circle back you're gonna have to start at the beginning so you might as well receive it now yes and you know, I love, Joanna, that you're doing this because I think it's healthier than just jumping right back into things and not taking the time to integrate or have a conversation. And it makes me think of, oh, there's a few people I've had conversations with of kind of debriefing, but how powerful is that to intentionally keep on connecting with others and debriefing so that we can 
shake off the trauma, dance it off, process it, journal it, write it, all of those ways of handling it. So we don't have to start at square one again and we can move on and learn from others. I feel like I learned so much today and have so many new places in my heart for others and their experiences. Yeah. I think too, a good takeaway is just keep in mind, everybody's moving at their own pace. Some people probably slip back into addiction and that's where they're at. Some people really just could not step off the hamster wheel. (laughs) They were just on it. It was going too fast for them. So they kind of did not have the experience that we were talking about here. And then others, they need time to integrate and process. They're living in a different economic reality. Like we're all at different points on our journey. And I kind of hate the hierarchy of that. I don't like to say, oh, we are so ascended or we've grown this much or we've evolved to be kind of self-congratulatory about it. Not that that's what we're doing here, but I just think it's like a caution to keep in mind. When you do that, you miss everybody else's experience. And it's so important to stay open to that because that's where the love is. That's where the community is. That's where the connection is. Connecting with people outside your bubble, I think is going to be really important going forward because we were so divided into all these little bubbles and factions and pitted against each other. Like, I think the best we can do is keep really open hearted and empathetic to where each person is on their journey and let them have it. It doesn't mean you have to manage it for them or get in it with them, but you can respect that that's where they are. Compassion is the big ongoing lesson for me that I'm taking away from this because I'd already been through it. So I was looking at the rest of the world. And of course the initial reaction is, oh my God, why doesn't everybody else already know this? Why are they reacting like this? And then, so then you have to take it to a place where you say, you know, I was there once. And what did that feel like? How would I want people to treat me when I was trying to understand it and just live through? I think my word would be stewardship. Mm. And the idea of to whom much is given, much is required. And that was kind of my, my takeaway for my circumstances. Oh, I love that. I started thinking about that when we were talking about spirit of place, like stewardship of the land. And then also all that you've been given. That's such a great way to end it, Rachel. Good talk. Good talk, everybody. Thank you so much. This was great. That's it, my friends. It was a long one. Thank you. If you hung with us all the way through to the end, I will not leave you hanging on the Shadow Love summer camp thing too long. I will do an episode on that next. And we'll just we'll just have to make do with the sound quality, whatever that turns out to be. Whatever noise my neighborhood decides to impose on me that day, I'm going to make it work. And I also just want to let you know, this is not something that you will have to sign up for. If you already have the Shadow Love audio journey, I am going to be adding at least one track to that. So that should already be in your library in Gum Road, which is awesome because it'll just pop up when I do the new track and I'll probably shout about it on the podcast and the newsletter. But for the most part, doing Shadow Love Summer Camp is going to be a free podcast thing that I'm going to do here I already have recorded some amazing interviews. I have chills trying to even 
bring that subject up. They're so good. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> it's good stuff, really good stuff. Human design, anatomy of a witch, Joanna Valente, poetry. It's just gonna be so good this summer. And then I'm gonna mix in just these solo episodes talking about shadow, talking about shadow stuff, outing my own shadow, giving you some processes to help you through your own shadow work processes. So that's that. If you want to join us on Patreon, I would love it. There's a lot of different options there. We have a $1 tier all the way up to my coaching tier, which I limit how many people can join that, but there's space open right now. It's called the Dream Team. You get one hour-long coaching call with me every month and then access to two masterminds and then all the content that I post throughout the month. There's a range of options. <laughs> I hope you loved this. I would love to hear what you learned, what lessons you're taking away from this year and a half lockdown, quarantine, COVID-19 pandemic experience we all went through together. I feel like we're still processing and going through it, but that it's good to have these conversations. We should keep having these conversations with our friends and loved ones and communities so that we can remember what was good about this. There was so much that was not good, that was scary and upsetting and sad. But those lessons that we learned, we learned them for a reason. They're going to serve us going forward. So to be able to articulate what those are and to reinforce and integrate them into our awareness, I think is really going to help us going forward. So I hope that this served as a part of that process for you. Until we meet again, happy summer! Happy summer! And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, happy winter! Much love to you. Peace!